What's that? I tell people um, science is to theology as religion is to technology. That's exactly what I'm going to say. Okay. We'll go a little further than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. People are interesting because we believe things. And where do we get our beliefs? Well, we all know it's a very complex world now, so we get a lot of our beliefs from experts. And I think experts would have us believe that it is indeed very, very complicated on how we determine what we believe. This is going to be an attempt to simplify that. So I'm proposing that there are, well, proposing first to get this to work. Why did it stop working? There we go. 
talk about three activities that scholars use to determine universal truths. And we're going to define science as one of those. And we're going to define science as an attempt to know and understand the natural, those things that have mass. You'll notice I'm not trying to determine, to define science by a scientific method. So I'm going to argue that there is no scientific method, but rather what its goal is. Science basically is invests in determining I-it relationships. And we're going to define theology as attempts to know and understand the supernatural, that is, things that do not have mass. Theology focusing on I-thou relationships. I want you to know I'm using a very broad view as to what theology is. Uh, Toynbee suggests that we all have a religion, we all have a theology. It's based in either nature, it's based in man himself, or it's based in supernature. And I would also include in that the various takes on higher power that are used in things like Al-Anon meetings, uh, AA meetings, and so forth. And we also have history, which basically is an attempt to know and understand what has happened. And of course, these are I-event things that are being studied. And I am, again, taking a very, very broad view of what history is. It can be anything from a a tome like the decline and fall to things like family histories and it can be things like forensics which is trying to determine uh, criminal activity. All of these are basically studies of history or trying to figure out what happened. I'm also proposing that we look at each of these fields of knowledge as having a subset of what are called what I call manipulating activities. I know some people prefer the term applied science for technology. I don't like the term applied science because I think the technology usually comes first. Uh, we might as well perhaps call science theoretical technology. Um, so uh, in a recent book, Matt Ridley's book on the rational um, optimist, he makes the point, I think, very effectively that most discoveries start with the technology. There is not a filter down from science to technology. It's basically science figures out the how after technology has figured out the why. And each of you in your fields, I'm sure, can think of a lot of examples of those sorts of things. Religion I define as an attempt to manipulate the supernatural. Uh, I had struggled with the term manipulate. I wanted to find a better word because it has such pejorative overtones. But I couldn't come up with one. If any of you can, please let me know. But religion is an attempt to communicate with a, on another level, whether you think the supernatural resides in nature, in the supernature, or in man himself. And we can also define 
a manipulating activity for history, which is politics, which is attempt to manipulate what happens. And, of course, we all do politics because we all try to manipulate what happens in our own spheres. And, of course, politics can engage things like history and religion and theology and so forth to try to manipulate what happens. Okay, so what? Well, my first conclusion that I'd like to drop on you is that science and theology are both truth-seeking activities and they may be usefully compared and analyzed. Science and religion is basically comparing a truth-seeking activity with the manipulation activity and it's not useful to th compare the two. When we compare science and religion, we're not comparing apples and oranges, we are comparing apples and turnips. We are comparing very different things and it is not an apt comparison. Well, I want to push this just a little further and kind of talk about the discourses, a very brief overview of them. These are the combination of practices that scholars use to study and create science, theology, and history. We're going to look, again, making it simple, at data acquisition, analysis, and prediction. All of these are involved in the discourses. Data acquisition, science often says that the great thing about science is that our experiments are full disclosure. Our experiments are repeatable. There are some who would also define anything that is empirical as science. Uh, this presentation does not do that. We are going to try to restrict talking about science to full disclosure experiments or observations. Data acquisition in theology becomes a little bit more complex. Many of you will note on the left hand, recognize the Wesleyan quadrilateral as to where you can turn for the data to form your theology. You'll notice that personal revelation is a subset of scripture. Authority of a person or council is a subset of tradition. Uh, controlled experiments are a subset of experience. And there are an amazing number of controlled experience really in this area. Everything from counting the number of people that get well if people pray for them compared to when they don't to the number of neurons that are formed in the brain if you do meditation. So these are, I would all say, experiments that involve some sort of a theological overtone. And data acquisition for history, forensics, of course, now we have to rely on what historians call primary, secondary, and tertiary sources. Of course, one person's primary source can be another's secondary source. Now, we run into a lot of problems when we talk about history, even for simple things like determining a crime. We can have people on a jury and we can have different courts come to different conclusions from the evidence presented. And we know that history is also a little iffy because the people who report on history see it through their own eyes and their own prejudices. But we still try to figure out what happened. There are those who say that the winners write history, but 
at least in a free society, the losers get to write their own version of history as well. So summarize where we are in all of this, saying that in science the data duplication is easier because the systems are simpler. In theology, the data duplication is difficult. The systems are complex. Of course, we bring our own prejudices to it. In history as well, data duplication is difficult because there are competing sources, fouling of data from the perspective of people who make the observations. So let's just look briefly at analysis. This is a very, very simple one page on logic. But I would like to propose that there are basically three or four, depending on you count them, ways to analyze data. The first abduction is basically hypothesis formation. And theologians, historians, and scientists all use deductions to form hypotheses. The second deduction, where we derive the conclusion from the accepted, depends, of course, on having something accepted. It's infallible if what you've accepted is true. Induction, which we often say started in the Renaissance, I would frankly argue with that. I think there was a lot of induction in Greek philosophy and science. And people have always depended on multiple observations to come to particular conclusions. It's true that it picked up a little in terms of controlled experiments at the time of the Renaissance, but I suggest it's always been there. And, of course, there are times when we use statistics as, I would say, a more advanced form of induction. The most probably obvious example of that was Einstein's use or development of statistical mechanics to prove that, indeed, Brownian movement was a result of atoms and molecules hitting uh, very, very fine particles suspended in water. So... I would like to suggest that analysis for science, theology, and history all may involve abduction, deduction, induction, and statistics, and that there are no analytical differences among these truth-seeking activities. All of these activities also try to predict. Science tries to predict from established laws and observations, and this prediction has been fairly successful. We feel pretty confident about a theory, if we were, are able to predict what is going to happen from applying that theory. It has been a good testing mechanism for science. We come to theology, prediction becomes a little bit more complicated, doesn't it? Uh, we've all heard the Christian prophecies. It's interesting that most of these were able to identify after they've happened. If you claim you're getting a direct, direct revelation, of course, you may be a candidate for the psychiatric ward and astrology if you really think the stars are communicating with us, but these are all predictions, predictive activities that could fall under theology. When we try to predict history, of course, we use polls, we use charts, we use experts, all these sorts of things, and yet we have a terrible time predicting things as relatively simple as the stock market. We are unable to predict revolutions. Uh, our predictions in history are not very successful. 
So, in the summary, science is much more predictable. I think that's one reason we have so much confident, confidence in it. It's one reason the public is sold on it. But they're not told that it's more predictable because the systems are so much simpler. Theology is, is unpredictable because the symptoms are complicated, and of course also their I-thou relationships, just like each of us have different relationships with each other, uh, so they're unpredictable. History is rarely predictable. This is my summation slide, and I'm going to suggest a couple of points that fall out of this, not the only ones, but this is a short presentation. Theories and models of climate change are historic forensic theories. They're not scientific theories. Predictions on climate change are within the historical discourse. They're not within the scientific discourse. That doesn't mean that science doesn't have anything to do with them, with the methods that we're using basically for prediction are not scientific methods. Theories of intelligent design and of evolution are theological historical theories. They are not scientific theories. That doesn't mean there is not science attached with them, but they do not carry opportunities for repeatable experiments. Now I'd like to close with some reasons why I developed this. <laughs> this is from The History of Knowledge by Charles Van Doren. I happen to think he's a great author, love the book, often go to the book to try to put something in historical context when I talk about it in my chemistry and science and ethics classes. But when he comes to the invention of the scientific method, I just want you to read some things that he is saying about this. He is saying that there are three things that characterize science. One, that science is practiced by special people with a special view of the world. They do not let their feelings get in the way of their observations. They're real things, facts, as they call them. Now, he even goes further than this. He says, scientists try to be objective, unsentimental, and unemotional. And I say, I suppose, as opposed to theologians and historians who are non-objective, sentimental, and emotional. <laughs> he also says science deals almost exclusively with things, not ideas or feelings. Really, we don't think that the theory of relativity is kind of an interesting idea. We do not think that scientists are emotional. That are going on publicly now in the scientific community, and I think we'll find that they are quite emotional. Also, he says science deals with whatever it deals with in a special way, employing special methods and a language for reporting results that are unique to it. He also goes on to say, scientists do not claim more than they can prove. And I read this and I say, what a crock. Uh, do any of you really believe this? And yet this is how the scientific method is often discussed by people, and I assume they get it, by talking to scientists. I thank you, and I'll take some questions. Yes. Um, I'm just a little curious about these points for consideration. Okay. <clears throat> um, 
maybe I misunderstood, but it sounds like you're saying it isn't scientific to say if things keep on going the way they're going, this will be the result. And uh, I, as a geologist, might use plate tectonics as an example. If we would say that if the continents on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean would keep on separating as, as they're doing, and eventually this will be the result. I think that's scientific. I don't think saying this is going to happen is scientific. That's historical. Okay. I, was, I was trying to, uh, I was having difficulty distinguishing that okay. from the climate change thing. Okay. Also is looking at what is happening and say this is what we project. Yeah, of course right now people can't even agree what's happening, well, can they? I understand that. Yeah, so again, I think it, it kind of diminishes science to have an historical argument dumped into the scientific community, and, it, and it's been fairly ugly, and it's also been a little demeaning to find that data has been manipulated and that people have been suppressed and this sort of thing. I mean, that's not the way we want science to be. Right? Uh, yes? At one point when I was teaching, my name's Betty here. At one time when I was teaching at Maribald and the on the history faculty, what philosophy faculty, I'm not sure which, a uh, person who wanted to teach a course in a philosophy of science. And most of the students who signed up for the course were social science majors. And all of her analogies came from undergraduate.